Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us, that we would hear your word, and that it would bear fruit in our lives, all to your honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. It's probably the most famous and most memorized verse in the entire Bible. Even if you don't know what it says, you've probably at least heard the words, John 3.16, and know that it has something to do with the Bible. And so what we're going to do this morning is actually walk through this famous verse, and I want to highlight three parts of it so that we can more fully understand the incredible love of God. Of course, there are other things, and I'm not by any means interested in going word by word through this famous verse, uh, but I do want to narrow it down to three, and uh, because it's nice to have sort of uh, symmetry through it. Um, the way I wanted us to think about this is, in this verse we see God's love enacted, God's love received, and God's love applied. So we'll see each of those in turn. So the first is, in this verse, we see God's love enacted. Would you say this verse with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in this first section, it's actually that little word, so, that I want you to notice. In this verse, remember the, the Bible, uh, we're talking about the New Testament here, was not written in English. Um, so this is a translation of the, of the original Greek here. And in this verse, in this context, this little word, so, does not mean God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. While that's true, that's actually not what's being specifically said here. The word so is a translation, but it really doesn't mean so much, but rather like so. In this way. God loved the world like this. God loved the world in this way by giving his son. This is how God loved the world that he gave his son. The point is not specifically that God loved the world so much. It's not specifically how much he loved us, but points rather to how he enacted that love for us. God's love is enacted. It's put into practice by sending his son. Sending Jesus to be born for us, to die for us, to rise for us, is the way that God shows, God displays, God enacts his love for us. This is the ultimate expression of his love by sending his son. This is love in action, put into practice, love enacted by God for us. And of course, that's essential to the very nature of love itself. Love is not just good feelings for someone, but a firm commitment to act for their good. Love isn't really love if it's not put into practice. And the point of this famous verse is not specifically that God has good feelings towards us, though that's true, but that he has acted for us 
in sending his son to us. So when you hear the words, God so loved the world, I want us to remember that it's saying not that God loved us so much. Well, again, that, that, that's true, but I, I, it's getting at something deeper. This is how he loved us, by sending his son. He put his love into practice for us by sending his son. This is God's love enacted for us. The second that we see here is God's love received. I'm going to ask you to say this verse with me again. God's love received. Say this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love received. The fact is that love needs to be received by the one loved. We know this, for example, um, in the love of parent for children. So we parents, we love our children dearly, and we would do anything we possibly could for their good. But some here know the pain of when that love is rejected. The parent's love is there, but it needs to be received by the child. Love has to be received by the one loved for the relationship to be positive. And here in John 3.16, we see this immense love of God poured out for us. He loved us by sending His Son, Jesus. And we know that that sending included leaving the glory of heaven. It included dying in our place. God loved us. He enacted His love by sending Jesus for us. And then what we see here in this verse is that that love then needs to be received. We must receive His love, as it says, by believing in Him. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so we are invited and called to receive this immense love by believing in Him. It says, believe in Him. I don't want to go too grammatical for you this morning, but there's a bit of a challenge with this word believe here, because as I mentioned already, remember the New Testament wasn't actually written in English. Uh, it was written in Greek and it's translated for us into English. And we actually don't really have a perfect English word for this concept here. Because in English, the word believe sounds primarily intellectual. It's a matter of the mind. It's sort of mental assent to something. But what Jesus meant, and what John wrote, is much more than that. So in English, we have words like believe and trust and have faith, and they all sound like different concepts. But what's actually being used here, the words being used here, all of those things are sort of wrapped up in what it says here in believe. We usually use the word faith. And faith is this complete and encompassing trust in someone. So when it says here, whoever believes in Jesus, it's literally just the verb form of the word faith. So if I'm allowed to just make up a word, whoever faiths in Jesus, whoever puts their faith in Jesus, whoever puts their firm trust in Jesus, whoever believes cognitively, yes, but also entrusts themselves to Jesus. This is far more than just whoever thinks Jesus is right. 
This is God enacted his love for us by sending his son that whoever entrusts themselves to Jesus might have eternal life. In his book, Bruchko, which was the name the, the tribe gave him, uh, in his book, Bruchko, missionary Bruce Olson tells of his experience with the primitive tribe in the jungles of South America. And part of his experience with that tribe was translating the Bible into their language for the first time ever. And he found specifically that translating the concept of faith into their language was rather difficult. It just wasn't really a good word for it. But finally, he found what he believes is the best way to explain it. See, the people in this tribe used to build houses uh, in the trees, not like a house among the trees, but like in the trees. And the ways that they would, uh, the way that they would sleep is they would actually tie a hammock between two trees, and they would sleep in it far higher than you and I would probably feel comfortable, you know, 30 feet up in the air. And so Olson finally figured out that the best way that he could describe biblical faith, the concept here in this verse, is the word that they used for tying in their hammocks to a tree. You tie in your hammock securely to a good tree and to a good tree, and it will hold you securely. And if you do it correctly, you'll never have to worry about falling. That's the concept of what Jesus is talking about when he says you must believe in him. Tie into him. Put your weight on him. Trusting that he's got you. Letting go and if you will sort of plopping down into his power and his control. And the way that we receive God's enacted love is by letting go of our own control and our own way in trusting in Jesus and what he has done. It's putting our faith in him. It's trusting what Jesus says, what Jesus does, and who Jesus is. It's accepting that it's only through him and not through ourselves that we can be right with God. It's tenaciously following him and his commands even when his way is different than what we may choose. Whoever believes in him includes all of that. And I would suggest that without any part of that, we have not really truly believed in him and put our whole faith in him, as this verse says. So we are called to receive his enacted love through faith. And then third, God's love then applied for us. I'm going to ask you to read this verse one last time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God enacts his love for us by sending his Son to become one of us, to live and die and rise again for us, to defeat sin and death for us, to clothe us with His righteousness and His purity so that we no longer need to fear the consequences of our sin. And that love needs to then be received through faith, through wholeheartedly trusting in Jesus and what He has done and not in ourselves. And when that happens, God's love is then applied 
to us. It accomplishes something in us and for us. When we put our trust in Jesus and we, and we trust in His enacted love for us, as it says, we will not perish, but have eternal life. His love is applied to us so that we no longer face the spiritual death apart from God, but we are welcomed into eternal life with Him. His love, which we receive in faith, is applied to us for eternal life. It says in verse 18, whoever believes in him, that is, has faith in him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The love of God is only applied for eternal life to those who receive and trust in Jesus. We can't be right with God unless we put our faith our trust, our firm commitment in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We can't be right with God if we reject Jesus. And in fact, to do so leaves us in a place of, as it says, condemnation, a place of distance from God and His life. In one of Jesus' parables, the parable, so-called the parable of the prodigal son, A father shows his love for his son. But the son essentially sort of gives him the finger and says, I I wish you were dead, and leaves with his inheritance. He leaves the family. He tells his father that he hates him and wishes he were dead and removes himself from the blessing of being part of the family. And he rejects his father's enacted love. And the result of that is that it brings a total separation from God. Condemnation is the word used in verse 18 in our passage. When we don't receive God's love in faith, we are separated from Him. But what that son in the parable discovers is that when he comes to his senses and returns to the father, the father actually comes running to him and welcomes him home. No matter what that son has done, he is welcomed home when he returns. No matter what he had done in his past, the father enacts his love for him and welcomes him home. There is nothing that you have done that is too big for Jesus' love. The Father's love welcomes all of us sinners home when we receive Jesus, and you can always come home. God's love is enacted by sending Jesus to die for us and to rise victorious on Easter, and it is received by His people through putting our faith, our whole trust in Jesus and not in ourselves. And when we do that, His love is applied to us for eternal life, and we are saved from the condemnation of our sin. But you see, friends, John writes this passage in his gospel not to tell us a nice story, but actually to convert us. This is not just sort of academic theology to make us think, nor is it just an emotional message to make us feel good. 
This is intended to invite each of us to receive God's enacted love so that it may be applied to us for eternal life with Him. And that's actually the invitation to you personally. You are invited by Jesus Himself to experience the love of God enacted for you by sending His Son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sin, to adopt you into God's family, which is applied to you for eternal life instead of condemnation. You are invited to that salvation and love and life. Now maybe you've been going to church for a long time, but you're not really sure that you've ever actually put this kind of faith in Jesus, this whole all-encompassing trust in Jesus. If you're not sure you've ever really done that, then make it official today. Maybe you're here because a family member tricked you and you didn't even think you were going to church at all, and I'm okay with that. But maybe God is really speaking to you this morning, and you are invited to receive His love. Maybe you're here because somebody dragged you, and you're not even sure there really is a God, but you're at least open to testing the waters and opening yourselves up to Him, if He even exists. Maybe you don't really know much about this at all, but you know that you want to receive God's love and have that applied to you in your life. If you're here this morning and God is stirring in you and pulling you to receive His love, then I'm actually going to give you in just a moment an opportunity to respond. If you're here and ready to say yes to Jesus, to receive this great love that the Father enacted for you by sending Jesus, to receive His love by putting your faith in Him and committing to follow Him, to be part of His people, the church, as we together have His love applied to us for eternal life. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to put a prayer up here on the screen. Take a moment and just read it. There's nothing magical about these particular words. But in a moment, you can use these words to express to God your desire to receive his love and follow from him from now on. Not because your parents do. Not because your spouse does. But because you're ready to wholeheartedly commit to following Jesus from today onward. So as you finish up reading these words. But if you're ready to commit to Jesus, to receive his love, I'm going to invite you to say this with me in just a moment. If you're here today and already committed to following Jesus, I'm just going to invite you to join in as well. So those who, who wish to, would you say this with me? Almighty Father, I confess that I have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I am truly sorry and humbly repent. Thank you for forgiving my sins through the death of your Son, Jesus. I turn to you and give you my life. Fill and strengthen me with your Holy Spirit to love you, 
to follow Jesus as my Lord in the fellowship of His church and to become more like Him each day. Amen. Now, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, I just want to say welcome to the family. But welcome to the family of those who have received God's enacted love for us and will experience eternal life with Him. And if you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, I want to give you a few things that you need to do. And one is to simply share your commitment with someone, someone here with one of the pastors, as soon as you can, so that we can pray for you. Tell us. If you're not connected with a church, join a biblically faithful one, whether it's here or elsewhere. If you're sort of connected but not really involved, then I would invite you to look for ways to really deepen that connection. If you're now becoming a follower of Jesus but have never been baptized, it's important that you speak with one of us about baptism. It's also important that you pray for spiritual protection because there is a real enemy who hates what you're doing. In order to grow in your new life with Jesus, it is vitally important that you be involved in regular worship, Bible study, learning and reading and studying the Word of God, prayer, fellowship with other Christians. This is not a one-time commitment, you know, check the box, I'm done. This is an ongoing, lifelong commitment to Jesus, and that cannot be done alone. See, friends, God displayed his love for us in this, that he gave his only son, that whoever puts their whole trust and faith in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So may we each know that love, receive it personally, and experience it applied to us for eternal life with God. Amen.